warriors, workers and worshippers. Notes on the journeyings of the Ark of God from Sinai to Zion. By Theophilus Ruse. Chapter 3. The Ark in the Jordan. Joshua chapter 4. At the end of the forty and two journeys named above, we read, 48th verse, they departed from the mountains of Abarim, and pitched in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. And here we resume our task, as it is with the journeys in the book of Joshua and beyond that we are to occupy ourselves, rather than with the history and incidents recorded in, Numbers. The Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses my servant is dead, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. The passage of the Jordan gives us one of the most interesting and instructive scenes in all God's dealings with Israel. Jehovah had said to Moses, When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God on this mountain. Exousd 3.12. So their road was to be by the mount of God. And their arrival at Sinai was, as it were, the completion of the first state of the journey. The second, reckoning in this way, was Kadesh Barnea, which they reached before the end of the second year after the exodus from Egypt. The third was the plains of Moab, having left the wilderness forever when they had crossed the brook Zerd. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verses 13 to 14. How significant it is to notice that between Sinai and Kadesh is a journey of eleven days only. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2. Between Kadesh and the brook Zerd, 38 years were spent in the wanderings enumerated in Numbers 33, as noticed in our last chapter. Thus the fortieth year of their pilgrimage came to a close, and on the tenth day of the first month of another year the passage of the Jordan took place. Death had done its solemn work amongst the people from time to time. All the grown-up men and women that came out of Egypt, except Joshua and Caleb, had fallen in the wilderness, in righteous judgment of their unbelief. Although in their victories over the Amorites and the Midianites they did not lose a single man. The prophetess, and the high priest, and lastly the mediator himself, were also all gone, and now there lay before them the waters of the Jordan to be crossed, and the numerous enemies in the land itself to be subdued. Here the wisdom, and the power, no less than the forbearing love, of Jehovah the God of Israel is displayed in new and varied ways. Truly his way is, in the sea, and, in the sanctuary. Psalm chapter 77 verses 13, 19. Again, here we have to note a marked departure from the general order of the march. Both with regard to the position of the ark amongst the people, and as to those who carried it. And as we proceed in our journeys we shall find three other occasions of a similar kind, all of special import and value in their place, and fraught with deep instruction for our souls as Christians. The place of prominence which was given to the ark in the passage of the Jordan must strike every observant reader. We may only glance at the details. By Joshua's instructions, the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests the levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place, and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about two thousand cubits by measure, come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass over before the people. Joshua chapter 3 verses 2, 6. So that, instead of being borne on the shoulders of the Kohathites in the usual way, and that in the midst of the people, a space of more than half a mile in advance of them was to be carefully observed for the ark here, so that they came not near unto it. And it was carried on the shoulders of the priests. With what intensity of interest must that large concourse of people have watched the effect of the ark's approaching, thus borne, to the brink of the rushing river, overflowing all its banks, as usual at the time of harvest and witnessed its torrent suddenly arrested by the touch of the priest's feet. 
Blessed evidence this of the presence and power of God, acting in order that his redeemed people might pass over into the land of their inheritance. Witness also that silent and most striking manifestation of what God can do, and does do, when he purposes to bless. There was no word of command from Joshua, no rod of Moses, no judgment of the enemy there. But the people saw how the hand of God held the waters back and made a dry passage, until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Cut off by the power of the God of all the earth. A dry bed some miles in length stretched below them, and in a day long to be remembered that vast number of men, women and children, passing by the spot where the priest's feet stood firm, landed safely on the other side of Jordan. Twelve stones were set up in the bed of the river, and twelve more taken from the spot where the priests stood, are set up at the place of their safe landing. For a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Joshua chapter 4 verse 7. Note how God foresees that their children would ask questions as to these stones in time to come, and the thoughtfulness of his injunctions as to this. Now a word or two as to the typical meaning of this passage of the Jordan. What can we as Christians learn from it? That it is a striking type of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ needs scarcely to be said. Can we read the account of it without thinking of him who stood firm in the waters of death and judgment to secure a safe passage from death to life for all who trust him, and to secure for them? On the other side, an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled, and that fades not away. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. In this, the Jordan agrees, or shall we say coalesces, in its teaching with the Red Sea. It is a type or figure of the death of Christ, but with this marked difference, that when Jordan was crossed there was no striking of the waters with the rod of Moses, and no judgment of the pursuing enemy. It was there barring their entrance into the land of promise, and the last barrier to be surmounted. Our readers will very probably be acquainted with the idea, made familiar by Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and other books, that the passage of the Jordan typifies the believer's passage through death into heaven. But the one thing, if there were no others, that nullifies this interpretation is, that when the Jordan was crossed, the people of Israel had to fight for the possession of the land. They had to make good, so to speak, their possession by walking through it, and clearing out the nations occupying it. Now, when we believers, get to heaven, we know that it will be rest, not warfare. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To inhabit the place prepared for us in the, many mansions, of the, Father's house. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. And that great Sabbath of rest is in heaven surely. We shall not need then a trowel, much less a sword, for both building and fighting will forever have ceased. We must therefore look further for the true application of this type to our Christian life. In order to live in and enjoy the land so long promised, the enemy had to be driven out foot by foot as it were, and therefore before they actually met the enemy, or struck a blow. The captain of the Lord's host, appears to Joshua, with his sword drawn in his hand. Blessed type surely of our risen Lord, who not only sympathizes with us, and sustains our infirmities, but leads and guards and guides his people in service and conflict. We would also point out some other notable differences between the Red Sea and the Jordan. There was no ark at the Red Sea, while in the Jordan scene it is the prominent feature. The former was deliverance out of Egypt, while the Jordan is entrance into Canaan. It is true that the same general thought prevails in both types, but the teaching of the Red Sea is the death of Christ as smitten for us, for all his people. While the Jordan foreshadows our death and resurrection with him. This explains the exhortations in the epistles of Colossians and Ephesians, such as wherefore if ye be dead with Christ, Colossians chapter 2 verse 20, and, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits at the right hand of God, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. And again, as in Ephesians, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
has quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 6. Some of our readers are familiar perhaps with a hymn that says, Jesus died and we died with him, buried in his grave we lay. One with him in resurrection, now, in him, in heaven's bright day. When we sing this, and similar expressions, we are not thinking of actual physical death. But of what is true in the reckoning of God of all who believe in Christ. For we have died out of the old condition, and are alive, as possessing life in a new sphere. Now a word as to this question of conflict, our aim being to notice practical results rather than doctrinal distinctions. Of the conflict with self, the flesh which is in us, every believer is more or less conscious, and many of the brightest Christians have left a testimony as to the strenuousness of the battle. It is recorded of the well-known Christian soldier, General Gordon, that when asked what was the greatest battle he had ever fought, he replied that his greatest battle was with himself. And he is not alone in this experience, for we have heard many such remarks. The sixth chapter of Romans, eleventh verse, teaches us an important lesson as to this, namely, that God's way of deliverance is, reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord, and this is the secret of the triumphant opening of the eighth chapter. Not only that there is no judgment to be feared, no condemnation to be dreaded, but that the believer is in Christ. In a new place, governed by a new rule of life, Christ, and a new power of life, the Holy Spirit, not only is deliverance known and enjoyed, but the character of his conflict is changed to that which is against Christ, and the word of God, rather than against himself. We doubt not that the principle of identification with Christ in death and resurrection, raised together, as the scripture expresses it, is set forth in type by the priests bearing the ark going down into the Jordan. As they represented the whole people of Israel in a way the Levites could not. Hence also the importance the Lord attaches to the setting up of the twelve stones on the landing place, taken up from the spot where the feet of the priests stood firm in the bed of the river. Reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We must now return to the banks of the Jordan, where we find set forth the character of the warfare a Christian has to engage in when he has taken this place which belongs to him as dead and risen with Christ. And for this we must look rather to the epistle to the Ephesians. It will be at once seen that there is a marked difference between the warfare we read of in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and that in the sixth and seventh of Romans. There is not a word in the latter about armor, or, wrestling. We are not told to wrestle with our old nature, the flesh, or even to try and subdue it, but to reckon it dead. And thus we learn the true meaning of baptism. We see what God has done with us, and not only our sins, in the death of Christ. In Ephesians is unfolded the most exalted character of Christianity. It declares that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, and also seated us in heavenly places in Christ. Then we are exhorted to put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, or the heavenlies. Ephesians 6:11-12, New Trans. It is not difficult to see the different character of these two conflicts, between the flesh, in ourselves and others, and the powers of spiritual wickedness arrayed against Christ and the truth. But perhaps the difficulty of understanding it lies in the fact that we are so little free from ourselves, and the worldly influences around us, and so lack discernment of the reality of true spiritual warfare. Suffice it to say that this latter is what answers to the enemies in the land, in contrast to those met with in the wilderness. How we need to pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened.
that we may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 1:17-18. For the sake of young Christians, we would like to make as clear as we can what is said above as to Christian conflict and experience. We know that it is by the Holy Spirit's help alone any of us can understand the things of God that are so freely given us. But it must be understood that in what has been said as to the typical meaning of the Jordan, no question is raised as to the assurance of salvation. And the certainty of heaven and glory as the portion of every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks unto the Father, who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 to 14. Neither do we question that the Red Sea beautifully sets forth the positive deliverance effected for all believers in the death and resurrection of Christ. He having died and risen again, the death and judgment that were once before us, and are now before all who are out of Christ, are gone forever. Since therefore the children partake of flesh and blood, he also in like manner took part in the same, that through death he might annul him who has the might of death, that is the devil, and might set free all those who through fear of death, through the whole of their life were subject to bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 15. New trans. But besides this there is the further truth, as before referred to, that we have died with Christ and are exhorted to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through, or in, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. In present blessed acceptance in him who came to die. In him who now is seated at God's right hand on high, in grace which is unchanging we stand from day to day, and prove the boundless mercies which strew our pilgrim way.